our ensemble a hand. Didn't they do a, 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 a good job? I was looking at a, a book I got, Alicia got me for Christmas, of a famous old pastor. Right, and turn that clock up. It's better for my job security to know how long I'm going, so... Thank you very much. Uh, of an old preacher, uh, George W. Truitt, you know, who Perry knows and Andy know who that guy was. But uh, it was uh, in the, the 1930s, and every picture of him preaching, you know, the choir, the, everybody's behind him, sometimes even standing. So you choir people have it easy today that y'all get to go and, uh, and sit down. Fundamentals. We're in softball, baseball season, and we're right at it. Uh, in Louisiana, I think... We are in uh, baseball and softball season. Fundamentals of, of uh, baseball or softball, uh, catching, right, uh, throwing, right, hitting, right, and I think you'd have to throw running in there. You, you need to be able to move. Uh, those are fundamentals of baseball. We, we understand uh, whether it's sports or in life, fundamentals of things, and uh, we're going to talk about fundamental failures tonight, how to fail uh, in fundamental or basic ways, financially, listen, if you wanted to fail financially, let me give you a few ways to do it. Don't save any money, spend more than's coming in, and have 48 credit cards and max them out, right? That would be ways to make sure that your finances did not go well. Judges chapter 1, we're going to look in starting verse 19 through chapter 2, uh, verse 3 this evening. And we're, we've been trying to lay a foundation these last few weeks for the book of Judges. And last week we talked about the favor of God, when God's, God's with you, God's hand is upon you. Uh, and that's the place God wants you and I to be as Christians and as a church. He wants us to live under his favor, but oftentimes we do not. And in fact, the whole book of Judges is kind of prefaced on what we're going to see tonight about a group of people as individuals... And corporately not living under the hand of God. They, they were guilty of some of these fundamentals of failure. So let's look at these tonight and, uh, and, and check your heart. Check where you are. See how you measure out with these things. How, how are some fundamental ways, basic ways to guarantee you're going to mess up? Number one, we obey partially. We, we obey partially. We, we, we don't just disobey God because we're good people and we love the Lord and we cry and we want to do what's right, we just don't always obey him fully. Their orders, let me give you a quick review, their orders from God was to drive these people out of the land. To be very blunt, their orders were to drive them out or to kill them, period. And I know what you're saying, you're going, oh my goodness, how, we, how, how can God want to kill these people? Well, you've got to You've you got to understand the context of what was going on. First of all, God had given them hundreds of years to repent. Did you get that? He gave them more years to repent than America's even been a country. He gave these people centuries to repent, and they didn't repent. They had heard what God did for these people as they came out of Egypt. God, they, I believe they had heard stories. They had heard about the God. They'd been warned over and over. And here's something neat. God was willing for these people to repent. When they came into the first city, when they got into the promised land, was Jericho. You remember that? And there was a lady there. She probably wasn't a lady at this point. She became a lady later on. Her name was what? Rahab. Rahab, what was her profession? The prostitute. And that's biblical. That's what the Bible says. That's not me making it up. 
when they talked to her and she helped them out, they spared her. But not only did they spare her, she became a part, and using our terminology, she became a follower of God, a true follower of God. In fact, Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Is that not neat? She, she became one of them. I, I think it's clear God wanted even and would have certainly accepted these people's repentance to come to them, but many of them were not going to. So their orders were to clear the land, to wipe them out, to drive them out, or to kill them. In verse 19, verse 19 has a taste of obedience and success. The Lord was with the men of Judah. That's what you want. They took possession of the hill country, but... They were unable to drive out the people from the plains because they had iron chariots. We're going to look at the iron chariots in a moment. Let me just ask you this real quick. How many of you believe if God was with you, you could drive out the people with the iron chariots? How many of you believe that was God's will for them to drive out the people with the iron chariots? You see some excuses here, but you see partial obedience. Verse 29, and we're going we're gonna to jump around instead of, we just don't have time to cover all these verses, but the, many of them are saying the same thing. Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer, but the Canaanites continued to live among them. Okay, that, that sounds harmless. They didn't drive them out. They lived among them. That's exactly what God did not want to happen. God did not want these people intermingling, intermarrying, and, and, and just being involved with these Canaanite people, his Jewish people. Because their worship was evil. It was wicked. And he knew that if they weren't real careful, they were going to be pulled away from the true and the living God. They obeyed God partially. What about you? I want you to be thinking right now, what area in your life, or maybe we need to put the plural, what areas tonight are you obeying God partially? You're obeying God just as much as you can or want to, in your opinion. Young people, I'm going to pick on your parents in a moment, but I'm going to pick on you right now. If you've got kids, and you gave them three assignments when you left at 5 o'clock, you're going to be back at 9, and you said, clean your room, do your homework, and do not get on the computer till we get home. That's pretty clear, right? Correct? Okay. You get home at 9 o'clock, and the kid's on the computer. The homework's done, and the room is partially cleaned. How many of you parents would agree with me that that's not obedience? How many of you young people would feel good about what the efforts you made there? We got a couple of hands. Most of them are like this. I'm going to get your parents in a moment. I promise you I'm going to. I'm going to nail them hard. That's... We don't even look at that as obedience at all, do we? I mean, in the, in the old days, the father pulled out the belt and you had a spanking time. Today, you take away their cell phone, which is far worse than spanking ever was. And that's a gift from God, isn't it? That God has given us tools to punish our young people effectively today. Where are you partially obeying God? Where are you looking at the Bible and you're saying, you know what, I'm going to go so far with this, but I'm not going to go all the way. Where is the Holy Spirit leading you, pushing you, and you're saying, you know what, I'm going to obey God most of the way. I'm going to clean the room, but I'm going to get on the computer. Or I won't get on the computer, but you know what, I'm not going to clean the room. 
Where are we obeying God partially? As a church, as a people, as a family, as a Christian, when you start obeying God partially, you're laying a foundation with a big crack in the middle of it right from the beginning. Here's the second thing, and they go together. We obey God selectively. We obey Him selectively. We pick and choose how we obey God. I think partially can be... Uh, that can be more, and not split hairs on these things, they think to go together, but I think there is a difference. And here's what these Jewish people did. They they were selective in how they obeyed God. Verse 22 through 26. The house of Joseph attacked Bethel, and the Lord was with him. Isn't that great? When they sent men to spy out Bethel, formerly called Luz, the spies saw a man coming out of the city. And they said to him, show us how to get in the city, and we will see that you are treated well. So he showed them, and they put the city to the sword, but they spared the man and his whole family. Look in verse 26, very subtle. He then went from them, basically, to the land of the Hittites, where he built a city and called it Luz, the city they'd just taken over and destroyed. He goes and he starts a new Canaanite city under this very name, which is its name to till today. Listen, now this sounds great. In fact, it sounds like just like what they did at Jericho. They found a, a, a spy who would help them and they spared the spy. Here's the big difference. One, God, God didn't tell them to do this. Does that matter? Probably, doesn't it? Rahab, when Rahab helped them, she became, a, she became a part of them. Again, to use our term, she became a God follower. She became enveloped and, and swallowed into their culture. This guy, they spared him, and he just goes somewhere else and starts another city uh, of the exact same thing that they just destroyed. Do you see a problem there? God didn't tell them to spare this person. I think they could have spared him if he would have repented. Verse 27 and 28. So subtle. Manasseh did not drive out the people of Bashan or Tanak or Dor or Eblam or Megiddo and their surrounding settlements for the Canaanites were determined to live in that land. When, when Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but they never drove them out completely. Hmm. Verse 30. Neither did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites living in Kitron or Nehola who remained among them, but they subject them to forced labor. God never told them, God never told them, don't drive them out, don't kill them, just conquer them and make them slaves. God never told them to do that. How many of you, your life would be easier if you owned 10 slaves? Now, obviously that's a creepy question. Hey, we can make our life easier. We won't kill these people. We'll be nice to them. God is nice. We'll be nice to them. We'll make them our servants. Our slaves. That'll really teach them a lesson, won't it? That they'll be subject to us. You know what? You jump ahead in the future, the Jewish people are going to be subject to these people. Isn't that interesting? Sadly, God never told them, go in there, spank them, and then make them your slaves. God said, you're either got two options. You drive them out or you kill them. But it was easier to make them a slave. It was more convenient to make them a slave than it was to drive them out or to kill them. That's selective obedience. 
You adults, I want you thinking, you young people, how, where in your life are you obeying God partially? Where in your life are you obeying God selectively? Now, let me get your parents on this one. This happens at workplaces all the time. This is the equivalent of parents not cleaning their rooms. The boss of the workplace says you've got to be in at 8, you get an hour lunch, and you've got to work to 4.30. And here's what a lot of adults say. Well, if I come in at 8.15, nobody's going to know. I work hard, and if I need to be gone for an hour and a half to run some errands, I'm entitled to that. If I have to leave a little early because of commitment somewhere else, why, well, that's okay because my heart is in the right place. You know how many people are in prison today because their heart was in the right place when they robbed that store? See, your parents aren't laughing like they were when I was talking about you not cleaning your room. Selective obedience. But that's okay because we mean well. See, we do the same thing with God. Don't we? I mean, if you're looking at pornography, but you're not having an affair, isn't that okay? The answer to that is absolutely not. And what, wait a second. I'm married, but I'm just talking to that person and just texting them and just writing them and emailing them. I'm not seeing them or touching them. My husband or my wife probably wouldn't think it was okay, would they? But it's not not an affair. Hmm. I give to good causes, man. I give to good causes at Christmas. Another time, I'm generous. I just don't tithe, you know. God understands. I've had people tell me for 30 years, God understands that I don't tithe. Do you really believe that? Do do you really believe that? You're going to get to heaven someday and God's going to say, Oh, shucks, I understand. See, we obey selectively, don't we? We have terrible attitudes. Or we're real nice and we're just not very moral. I mentioned that two weeks ago. It's an interesting phenomenon, Christians. We're holy and mean. Or we're loving and we're just immoral. (laughs) God loves you and so do we. And you can do anything you want. We cannot selectively obey God without having a crack in our foundation. Amen? Here's the third thing. We don't trust God to be able to take care of us. This is a fundamental issue of of everything else we're seeing. We don't trust God to take care of us. Let's go back to verse 19 a moment. The Lord was with the men of Judah. Man, isn't that all they needed? Isn't that all you need? They took possession of the hill country. Isn't that great? But they were unable to drive the people out from the plains because they had iron chariots. Now, folks, iron is something you take for granted. 5,000, 4,000 years ago, that was a huge military advantage. This is 5,000 years ago. If you had iron in your spear, your weapon... That's big, wasn't it, Josh? You're a hunter, a warrior. You understand that. I mean, that, that's the difference in fighting somebody with an automatic rifle and a musket, isn't it? True? 
I'm going to go with the automatic rifle guy every time. I don't care if you're Daniel Boone. If you were Daniel Boone and you got a musket, eventually we will take you if we got automatic. Greg Phillips and I will take Daniel Boone and Davy Crockett eventually, won't we, Greg? Because they're going to shoot once every 20 seconds. Greg and I are just going to close our eyes and pull the stinking trigger. We'll get them, won't we, eventually? How many of you believe God knew they had iron chariots before he sent them up there? You think they got up there and they go, they got iron chariots and God went, Shazam, they do. You know, a lot of scholars, this is very interesting, a lot of scholars believe that the iron they had was really just on their wheel rims. They didn't have a lot of iron, but it was enough to intimidate the opponent. And boy, did it work here. Hey, God, we'll take the hill country. We can do it. Whoa, whoa. They got iron, God. We can't do it. And you understand because you told us to do this, but, but you know we can't beat people who have iron chariots. Hmm. Verse 34. The Amorites confined the Danites to the hill country, not allowing them to come down from the plain. Boy, those mean bully Amorites. How many of you believe God knew the Amorites were mean before the the Danites went there? You see, the problem they face and you face, it's not that God sends us on missions that are easy. It's not that God's going to give us tasks that are not painful because they're going to be. But God says, with me, you can do it. But we quit because it gets hard or we get intimidated, don't we? Over in Psalms chapter 20, verse 7, there's a little verse. Listen to this. It has to be, it has to tie into this verse 19. Some trust in chariots, some in horses. Read this last with me. But we... Isn't that great? I'm not going to read it, but but in verse 20, verse 20, it talks about Caleb. Caleb was was one of the, the great leaders with Joshua. And when they got ready to go in the promised land, Caleb is an old man. Caleb is going to kid at this time. Caleb is singing in the senior adult choir next to Dorman at this time in his life. And Caleb says this, send me to the place where the sons of Anak are. Who are they? They were giants. Send me up there. And I could see Dorman saying this, couldn't y'all? And he goes, I will whip those giants every day of the week with God by my side. Isn't that great? How many of us are losing the promised land in our life as our church this year with our future and the years ahead? Are we going to lose what God wants to us because we see some iron and we see some opposition? You see a crack, a fundamental failure. A fundamental failure here and a fundamental failure in my life and a fundamental failure in your life is it gets hard, it gets difficult, and we say, God will understand if I back up. No, he won't. Monday was Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I I love a lot of the things Martin Luther King Jr. said, a lot of quotes. One that I have, he said that there's no deficit in human resources. But there's a deficit in the human will. 
And certainly when he was, what he was facing in the 60s, I think that was a great, great comment that it's not a resource matter, it's a will matter. I want to give you another thing, a little turn on that. Folks, there, there, there's, never re, there's never a deficit in God's resources that there's just a deficit in our obedience. Did you get that? God, listen, no matter what we're facing There's not a deficit in the power of God. There's a deficit in our willingness to obey God. You follow me? And to obey God a lot of times means we've got to trust Him, don't we? I want to ask you tonight, if you're taking notes, what's your iron chariot? What's the thing that's keeping you from following God completely? Let me give you the fourth thing that I think brings this all together. We take the easier route of compromise. I won't read these verses again. I'll just go over them with you. God said, go in and destroy these people or drive them out. If a few of them want to repent and get right, man, take them in. Let revival break out. Most of them aren't going to want to do that. Drive them out. So what did, what did most of the time what they did? They obeyed God partially. They obeyed Him selectively. They used excuses. Man, we don't have the money. We don't have the chariots. We're facing battles. We can't win on our own. A lot of times God's going to get you to a place in your life where you, can, where you will be saying, I can't do this on my own. That's a great place for God to have you, isn't it? Because that means God's got to do it. And God wants the. He he wants and deserves the glory and the credit. And so what they did, they compromised. They said, we're not going to drive you out or kill you. We'll just make you our servants. They compromised. We're not going to obey God fully. We'll obey Him partially. We'll obey Him selectively. Just not completely. When you compromise with the devil, how many times are you going to lose? Every time. I read a story this week. Josh said it was funny, so if y'all don't like this, this will blame this on Josh. There was a hunter, we'll say Josh, was out in the woods near Shudger, and he ran into a talking bear. Now, if anybody could run into a talking bear, it would be Josh, correct, Janelle? And there would be a great conversation. They would talk a lot, and they'd scratch each other's back and all that. And, and so in the conversation, Josh said, man, the, the, he said to the bear, what is your greatest desire? And the bear said, my greatest desire is a full stomach. And the bear said to Josh, what is your greatest desire? He said, my desire is a, full co- a, fur, a fur coat. Josh said that. So they compromised, and 30 minutes later, the bear walked away with a full tummy, and Josh had a fur coat. Liked it, Josh. So you compromise with the devil, you lose every time. The scary thing is God will let you and I do all these things. So we take the easier route, the more convenient route, the safer route initially, and we compromise. When we go the route of compromise, we're starting with a fundamental flaw in our structure. But let me give you the last thing. What happens when we go this route? What, what happens in your life, my life, in our church when we go these? In chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, really the rest of the book is a play out of this. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgah to Bochum, 
And he said, I brought you out of Egypt and I led you into the land that I swore to give your forefathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. You shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Don't compromise. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? Verse 3, now therefore I tell you, I will not drive them out before you. They will be thorns in your side, and their gods will be snares to you. Gilgal was a huge spot to the Jewish people. In fact, right when they came over from their wandering into the promised land from Jericho, they stopped at Gilgal. That's where they set up 12 stones to commemorate the 12 tribes. They did some other major events there. It's significant that God showed up there to give them this news. Some people say the angel of God in the Old Testament oftentimes is is God himself. I don't know if it was God himself or his angel, but it was the word of God that was given to them. It says in verse 4, we won't read that, but they broke down and they wept. Bochum, in fact, that word is a Hebrew word that means weeping. But the problem with um, what we see in verse 4 is it apparently was a shallow, I'm sorry that I got caught (laughs) kind of weeping versus real repentance. Here's what God said. You want to obey me partially, selectively? You want to live a life of compromise, be cool, fit in. Hey, you know what? You just go for it. You don't trust me. You want to live by fear instead of faith. You can do it. But, buddy, you're going to live with the consequences. Let me give you some consequences. We'll go through these fast. Short-term ease, but long-term heartache. Young people, or if you're single, listen to me, because I stayed single till I was 35, so I know this well. You start dating somebody, and the Holy Spirit starts telling you that's the wrong person. But your emotions are already involved in them, and you like them, and they're cute, and you're bored. But then you decide to obey God, and you break up with them. And you break up with them, and they cry, and you cry, and you're hurt. And you go home, and you're lonely, and a week later, you're back with them again. But it was easier, and you're happy for about two weeks, and then you remember what God had told you on the front end. It's hard to obey God a lot of times because we would rather sit comfortable on our tails in the short term than get up and walk into the promised land if it's going to be a little bit harder. Short-term ease, long-term heartache. Never forget that. Secondly, we live outside of the favor of God. This ought to scare us more than anything else. Churches, Christians, so many of them are living outside of the favor of God. I talked about this last Sunday night, the blessing and the power and the hand of God. Oh my goodness, the book of Judges is a testimony to that. Do you want to live outside of the favor of God? It's like going through life pulling a 50-pound weight behind you. Do you want that? Here's the here's third thing. Man, this is terrible. You and those that you lead move away from God. You see, you, you and I cannot do these things and stay in, in the right relationship with God. 
Judges chapter 2, verse 10 and 11 are very powerful verses. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Is that not terrible? Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. You know, th- this is an uh, old illustration, but it's so good. It's always easier to get pulled down than pulled up, correct? And that's just not dating. That, that, can, that can be your friendships. That can be the people you associate with. If, and that can be people, listen, in fact, in, in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, it tells us that you hanging around the lost people of the world is normal. You don't need to hang around people who say they're saved and that are terrible. Isn't that interesting? And, and you certainly don't need to date someone who you shouldn't be dating because it's always easier to what? To get pulled down than to be pulled up. And, and those you love and yourself, you move away from God. And lastly, you really hurt those who come behind you. Common sense. As a church, isn't this, isn't this scary? That we, we, what we do today and in this year will impact this church the next 10 years. We make decisions that will impact our church long term. You are making decisions that will impact you and your family and those you love long term. When we have cracks in our foundation from these fundamental failures, it hurts those who come behind us. D.L. Moody was a great preacher. He was the Billy Graham of the 1800s. He made a great, he had, a, he had a lot of great quotes. One great quote he said was, he said, the ship was meant to be in the sea, right? But he said, God help everyone when the sea gets in the ship. Do you follow that? And when the cracks are there in our lives or our church, the sea starts getting in the ship. And eventually, the ship goes down. This evening, here's how you lay a foundation. Number one, if you're not a Christian, you're watching on the Internet, or you're, you're here tonight, you're not a Christian, you give your life to Jesus tonight. When we stand in a moment, you come, we'll help you do that. You're here tonight, and maybe you're looking for a church home. We would love for you to join this church this evening. God's leading you to When we stand, one way you can do it is you can come and join us tonight. And Christian, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to examine, examine the chariot in your life for that partial or selective obedience. And where you're standing or maybe at the altar with a minister tonight, let's do business with God. Let's stand. And as the Lord leads you, you respond to him. We'll be waiting on you tonight.